I was not at all surprised about things that were uncovered regarding LSU's response to sexual misconduct. And in fact, I would not be surprised for any university. LSU is like many other institutions where they think the problem is under control. They think they have good reporting measures. They think that they've communicated effectively to faculty and staff and students about the proper way to handle disclosures or report the incident to the university. But in fact, they haven't. That's Rachel Hebert. She's the head of the Sexual Trauma Awareness and Response Organization, which is called STAR for short. It's one of the largest groups helping survivors of sexual assault in Louisiana. This week, we talked to Hebert about LSU's recent sexual assault and domestic violence scandal. I'm Julie O'Donohue, and this is the Illuminator Podcast. Hebert says the first thing you should know about sexual assault is that it isn't rare. It may be uncomfortable to talk about, but it happens all the time. National studies have shown time and time again that this is such a monumental issue that, you know, one in two women experience some form of sexual trauma that's not rape, and one in five of them actually experience an attempted or completed rape. You know, one in six men experience some form of sexual trauma that's not rape. One in 71 actually experience attempted or completed rape. So we know that a large part of our population experiences this, but because we don't treat it as important or we treat it as a joke, people don't feel comfortable sharing it. College students are at great risk for sexual assault. Students are often living away from their parents for the first time. They're experimenting with drinking and drugs. And Abair says myths about the quote, anything goes aspect of college can lead to problems. In fact, a large number of STARS clients in Baton Rouge last year, about 75 to 100 people, were attached to LSU. Our STARS Baton Rouge office is very connected to LSU. We, a lot of our staff are alumni of LSU. And we work very closely with LSU on a lot of initiatives and, you know, running reports over the past year, we noticed that upwards of 20, 20 to 30% of our new clients were actually associated with LSU in some way, whether a student or a staff member, which is a significant number of, of clients. How LSU deals with sexual assault on campus is under scrutiny. USA Today reported in the fall that the school had mishandled several sexual assault cases particularly when they involved fraternity members and athletes. Since Coach Ed Ogeron took over the football team four years ago, nine football players have been reported to the police for sexual misconduct. And Abair says most campus sexual assault cases don't get reported to anyone, let alone a law enforcement agency. People do not want to go to the police for a lot of different reasons. And the biggest reason is their own privacy. I'd say it's especially more pronounced for college students. And, and examples of that would be, you know, they don't, they don't want people to know about it. They don't want people to know that they were assaulted because when you report to the police, it's not like you can report to the police and say, hey, I just wanna be, I wanna let it be known 
um, that this happened, you know, the police are going to investigate. And that means they're going to talk to the perpetrator. They're going to talk to other people that were either, you know, witness to or at the party or know the know the survivor, know the perpetrator. Right. So it's going to be known. Abear doesn't believe that fraternity members and athletes are more likely to commit sexual assault than any other student. But there might be more pressure to cover it up when they do. Athletes in particular are very valuable to LSU. Abear says they are like the star coworker at the office. Companies are often reluctant to fire their most productive employees for sexual harassment. And at LSU, athletes are those star employees. I think that there are people in athletics that look at these athletes and they say, wow, they're very, they're very talented. They make a lot of money for the university. So there's going to be some exceptions made and there's going to be some leeway because of their position. I think the first thing that has to happen is there has to be a zero tolerance policy. The same way there's a zero tolerance policy about drugs. Some of the most egregious assault cases that USA Today uncovered at LSU involved athletes. Two women told athletic officials that Drake Davis was physically abusive long before he was kicked off the football team. Another two women say football star Darius Geis raped them while he was a student. And a third woman says Geis took a naked photo of her without her consent. Geis was never arrested or charged in those cases. Drake, however, pled guilty to domestic violence charges. But the problem isn't just confined to LSU or even universities. Louisiana is one of the most dangerous states in the country for women when it comes to domestic violence. The Violence Policy Center found that women are murdered by men in Louisiana more often than they are in almost any other state. And more than half of the women murdered by men are killed during a domestic violence dispute. The murderer is their husband, their boyfriend, or their ex, someone who was romantically involved with them. And in spite of all this, our state does very little in the way of domestic violence or sexual assault services. In Louisiana, there's 11 sexual assault service providers. That includes STAR that has three locations. And then there are, I think, 14 or 15 domestic violence organizations. And some of those are sexual assault and domestic violence organizations. So really, if you're looking at single sites, it's probably only about um, 15 total for 64 parishes where someone that's experiencing either sexual assault or domestic violence can go to. Abear says the state should make some changes to combat sexual violence. Right now, Louisiana only requires state employees to undergo sexual misconduct prevention training. She believes the state should mandate training for local government and state contractors as well. She also thinks sex education would help. Outside of New Orleans, Louisiana forbids sex education from being taught in public schools. The only education that kids are getting is abstinence-only education. They do not discuss consent. They do not discuss healthy dating relationships. And they don't explore any type of conversation about the actual act of having sex, including, am I ready to have sex? What does it look like to be ready to have sex? How do I communicate with my partner about sex? Right? Because we have this idea that if we talk to kids about sex, they're going to have sex, even though all the studies show that that's not true. But by far the biggest difference Louisiana could make would be to provide money for sexual assault prevention. 
Hebert says the state government, with its $30 billion budget, doesn't provide any financial support for frontline services. I mean, the biggest thing is funding. We don't get any state funding for sexual assault services at all. All of our funding at STAR, 50% of it comes from the federal government that we apply for competitive grants. Um, And then 50% is from our local communities and community foundations. So number one is, you know, look at the budget. Tell me your budget, I'll tell you your priorities. For the state of Louisiana, this is not a priority. And that's it for this week's podcast. Please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting platform and consider rating us and leaving us a review because that will help other people find us. I'm your host and producer, Julie O'Donohue. My editor is Jarvis DeBerry and our composer is Nick Wong. You can find all of our content at lailluminator.com. Until next time, so long. If you suspect someone you know is in an abusive relationship, Hebert says you should say something about it. The, the biggest thing is acknowledging it, saying to them, I recognize that this, there's some dynamics that seem unhealthy and that there might be some unsafe situations that you're in and I'm here for you. That, that's the number one thing. Because what it says to the, uh, the victim or the survivor in this case is that someone is aware of what's going on and someone's someone's paying attention and and they're seeing some of the things I'm seeing, but maybe the victim doesn't feel safe or comfortable to talk about it. And so that kind of opens the door to allowing the victim to, whenever they're ready, talk to you and say, hey, I actually am really unsafe or I'm, in, I'm really worried. You know, it, it kind of opens the dialogue in a way that's that's not threatening.